as long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Parami app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. It's called the Radio Potomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710 KURV. Morning news on 710 KURV. Top newsmakers. Here's Sergio Sanchez. Multiple sclerosis specialist Dr. Alejandro Cruz joining us on the morning news. We understand that DHR Health is recruiting MS patients for a Novartis drug trial. Dr. Alex, welcome to KURV. I think we need to start with the definition of MS. Multiple sclerosis. What is that, sir? What happens when you have MS? Well, first of all, good morning, Sergio. Thank you for uh, this opportunity to share this with the community. So, yes, multiple sclerosis is an autoimmune disease, uh, which is when your own body is attacking yourself. Um, and it's a disease that is attacking uh, the, the central nervous system, which is the brain, the spinal cord, and the, and the optic nerves. How do you get it? What, how do you get MS? So MS, uh, it's, it's a combination of factors. Um, of, uh, we uh, we know now that you need to have the the genes, uh, the um, the genetic component that will predispose you to have MS. But that's not enough. You need a trigger. Now we know due to a recent study that was published this year that up to 80% of uh, MS might be triggered by a virus. This is called the Epstein Barr virus. But again, not everyone that has someone in the family with MS will get MS. Actually, it's very rare. And not everyone that will uh, get this Epstein-Barr virus, the modern disease, will get MS. So they're, they're basically a combination of, of, of things that need to happen in order for someone to get this disease. Folks at, Folks at DHR Health are looking for MS patients in South Texas, part of a Norvartis drug trial. Dr. Alex Cruz from DHR Health joining us. Dr. Cruz, Tim Sullivan here, and following up on this explanation of MS that you were giving, it and it, it also affects people differently, uh, correct? Some people will uh, get serious attacks and others may be able to, to, to live with it or at least manage it? Exactly, exactly. And that's an excellent question because there are different kinds of MS. Um, the, probably the most common one, which is which this study uh, is the main that is um, looking into, is the relapsing remitting. So basically, you're talking about patients that will be completely normal, and all of a sudden they get what we call an MS attack. Mm. So it's a neurologic syndrome. They get they can get some weakness. They can get some vision loss, double vision. There are different things that they can get. But then after treatment symptoms, they they get better. Uh, sometimes it's complete resolution. In some other times, uh, it, it improves, but not quite back to 100%. And then you do have the other subset of patients that have more progressive disease, that they might get attacked, but then all of a sudden they just start having little worsening or progression of the disease without the acute attacks that we'll see. Hmm. Okay, so talk about this new treatment, this new drug that is undergoing a clinical trial and, and the and, and um, DHR Health's involvement in it. Yes, yeah, so 
Um, this trial is a phase three clinical trial um, about, a, as you said, it's a new medication, but there are actually now four um, uh, uh, medications that are in trials right now that have the same mechanism of action. So the, um, the mechanism of action of this medication is called the BPKI, which is, I, I'm sure a lot of MS patients are already aware uh, that this is kind of like the new strategy, the new medication that we're all very excited um, uh, to see results because of the way it works. So um, this is a new class. So we do have already over 20 FDA approved medications for MS. Um, but none of them has that mechanism of action that this new medication has. Um, this new medication has a mechanism that we know that already works because of other medications that like Ocribus, Casinta, Rituximab, which is affects uh, some cells that are called the B cells. But not only that, it does uh, uh, also affect uh, two more ways, uh, the T cells. And uh, one of the things that uh, we are also some uh, excited about is that uh, this medication uh, in the animal studies did show that uh, it, it might promote something that we call uh, remyelination. So when an MS, MS patient gets an attack, it's an inflammatory lesion that can affect uh, primarily something that is called the myelin. So this medication seems to, uh, or w what we think is that it's where we're trying to look in the study is to see how effective it is. Um, but we're also going to be looking uh, as far as if patients uh, not only stop, but if there's any evidence that patients might feel that they're getting a bit better. When you talk about mechanism of action um, of this new drug, uh, in layman's terms, can you, does it allow people to basically live a normal life or not quite? So, so in some cases, that well, that's our goal, right? We, we try to, with all the medications that we use, we try for patients to uh, to have a normal life um, or to have a good quality of life. In some in some cases, we're able uh, to do so um, um, uh, very well with the, the help of all the of these medications that we have available. There are some that if, if we're not able to have them live a completely normal life. Uh, at least we do our best and we try to to help them get a life as normal as they used to be. But in most cases, we're able to do so. And the, the key here is to have an early diagnosis and an early treatment with an effective medication. Dr. Alejandro Cruz is a multiple sclerosis specialist in South Texas. Are you the only one in South Texas, Alex? So it's it's me, and then uh, Dr. Gomez um, is also uh, uh, working. Uh, he's also just got here. Um, uh, he's working with the university. Okay. Uh, so it, it, it's uh, as far as MDs uh, with uh, training in NMS, we, we are the only ones. The only in South Texas. Um, okay. We, there are uh, some other health allies, like uh, nurse practitioners. Uh, we have one in Harlingen, one here at DHR2 that we are kind of all in the same page of trying to work together on, on beating MS as much as we can. Well, with DHR Health looking for MS patients, I remember a conversation with you sometime back. I think you said that's rare, right? It, it's hard to find MS patients in South Texas. How many do you need for this study here in South Texas? Well, we need as, as many as, as, uh, as we can, really. And, and let me tell you, Walter, so one of the main things that we're excited is because most of the MS clinical trials are, are always done in, in North 
areas of the country. So most of the data that we have in MS is regarding like white MS or Caucasian multiple sclerosis. We have very little data on Hispanics and Latinos. Uh, so, and, and our, um, our region, as you know, is unique that we have a high prevalence of Hispanic, just to give an example, in my MS clinic, uh, which, you know, I opened it maybe close to three years ago, we're getting kind of getting close to getting 600 MS patients, and from those 600 MS patients, less than 10% uh, are Caucasian, the rest are Hispanics. So uh, we really need um, it to to know more about what MS can do in our community and participating in not only in, in, in this research that we're doing, but in any MS research as a, a patient that um, might be Hispanic with MS, um, it really, uh, it would be a great contribution to the disease and the world itself to try to understand a little bit better this disease and the effects of this medication, especially the new medications in, in our community. And as folks sign up, and I would hope they call DHR in case they know someone, a loved one that has MS could participate in this Norvartis drug trial, will there be some patients receiving a placebo or does everyone get the, the drug to see how it works? Oh, that's an excellent question, Sergio. So, so this this study is a double blindness study. So it means that you the patient will have 50% chances of getting the new MS medication, and and the other 50%. The good thing is that we're not using placebos anymore. We're using another FDA approved MS medication. So basically, which means that the patient will get treated uh, either way. It's just that uh, one will get the medication that we're trying to look for, and the other one will get one of of, of the older MS medications, which is a pill. And that's another thing. This is an oral medication. It's a pill. Uh, we're looking for patients that are between 18 years of age up to 55 years of age, male or female. And uh, we're looking for patients with relapsing remitting multiple sclerosis or secondary progressive multiple sclerosis. There are more things that um, uh, that we have to see in order if they meet criteria to participate in the study. Right. But that's why I will encourage everyone that is interested to call our uh, to call DHR Research Institute, uh, so they can get all the the full details on on this. Study. There we go. Call the central line of DHR. Ask for the DHR Research Institute for that MS study. Thank you, Dr. Alex, Dr. Alejandro Cruz, MS Specialist at DHR Health. You're always on the go. Obviously pretty busy. Busy with work. Picking up my kids from school. From work to kids to running errands, your entire day is a hands-on, never-ending frenzy of activity. Luckily, getting the news is now voice activated. Just say, Alexa, play 710-KURB. I'd like to know what's going on in my world. I gotta know what's going on in my city. Putting the smart in your smart speaker. I'm getting my news from you and my information. For the latest news and to find out what's happening in rich, clear audio. Just say, Alexa, play 710 KURB. You're listening to the best of the Valley's morning news. Here's Sergio. Download the free app for 710KURV and all our sister stations at Radio United. Crisp, clear audio and access to previous programs from 710KURV only at Radio Parami. Download it, it's free. Welfare check on seniors that you love. It'd be as easy as one phone call away. That's the idea. 
at Alton Police. As authorities in Alton kickstarting a new program, Are You OK? The little R, the letter U, and OK. Alton Police Chief Jonathan Fotis is joining us. All right, Chief, so tell me a bit more about the genesis of this program. How did it get started, and what are you guys doing? Good morning. How are you doing? Thank Good, you sir. Thanks for joining us. Um, so basically, the Are You OK? program was a program that we implemented to check the welfare of our seniors. We wanted to make sure that at least once a week, our senior community had somebody that was checking on them and making sure that they were doing OK. Um, program's very simple. If, if they'd like to register, they can register online at our City of Alton website under the Police Department tab. There's a fillable form on there that'll get routed to us. Or they can come by the Alton Police Department at 509 South Alton Boulevard and, and register for the program. Uh, once a week, they'll receive a phone call where our staff will ask them if they're doing okay. If, if there is any kind of response that's needed, we'll take care of that. Um, if they do not answer, you know, we'll, we'll try a few times. And if they don't answer, we'll, we'll uh, send an officer out there to do a welfare check on them to, to make, see what's going on. Um, and again, there's going to be a lot of information required on the form, um, where they'll have, uh, the ability to put on there some, some family members that we can contact should we not be able to get a hold of them, uh, and, th and things of that nature. So, you know, key holder information and, and whatnot. Alton Police Chief Jonathan Flores is our guest. Chief Tim Sullivan here. So who initiates that uh, that call, the phone call? That'll be our communication center. We'll, we'll initiate that call, and, and it'll be predominantly on the weekends. Um, again, we have our, our senior, the city of Alton has a senior program, and we know Monday through Friday that they're taken care of, but we want to target the weekend and, and make sure that they also are, are being checked on on the weekend, along with the rest of our senior community, anybody who's wanting to register who resides in the city of Alton. So it comes from your dispatch center, basically, is that? That is correct. Yeah, okay. The first question that kind of popped into my mind here is, do you have enough staff? Do you have enough police officers to carry this program out? I'm just wondering if this might put a, a two additional of a burden on your patrol officers. No, we, we have adequate staffing. We have 30 sworn personnel, and we have seven civilian staff for our community of a little over 18,000. So we're, we're, we're doing okay regarding staffing at this time. Um, we don't see it to be an issue. And, and it's again, it's a simple phone call once a week to make sure that they're doing okay, um, you know, and, and, and we're committed to making sure that our senior community is taken care of. I don't think that, that it's too much... Uh, to impose upon our staff to make sure that they're doing okay once a week. Yeah. Um, and, and it's something that, that it's critical. You know, we all, we all have loved ones who are, who are elderly and, and we, we may want to have programs out there like this that where somebody's checking in on them. I think that that's, that's important. And, and I think it's also important to note that, you know, we have, we will have upon registration, all of the information. Mm -hmm. So, no member of the Alton Police Department is ever going to call our senior community and ask for any identifying information or anything like that. Um, we will already have that once they register. So it's a simple phone call asking if they're doing okay, if they need anything, and, and we go from there. Perfect. Um, where'd you come up with the idea? Alton, the Alton Police Department under your direction has come up with a number of um, innovative ideas uh, over the past few years. Where'd you come up with this one? 
So we're, we're always looking for new new and innovative things to do, things that we can service our community, things that we can bring here. Uh, this particular program, again, we were looking at our senior center and, and I had the thought of, you know, what about the weekends? What happens on the weekend? Who's checking on them? You know, do they have family? And so I had this thought and I wanted to make sure because the last thing you want to do is have uh, one of your elderly community injured or, you know, they fell or something happened and, and nobody's checking on them on the weekend. So mm -hmm. I wanted to try and bridge that gap. So I, I started to do some research on it and I saw that Belton, Texas, oh, okay. the police department up there had been running this program since 2018 or so. And it seemed to be very successful. I was able to network with them, uh, get the particulars of the program and, and brought it here to our community. Alton Police Chief Jonathan Flores is describing for us the RUOK program. They'll be checking in on seniors in their community, seniors who are registered. Now, I was thinking you mentioned 18,000 people live in Alton and about you know, in any given city, about 20 percent are the really elderly, about three, four thousand, so about 20 percent of that. Just rounding a figure, that would be about 500 phone calls on a weekend. And of those, maybe... About 20% of those that need to be checked, there'd be about 100 calls that you need not need to make personally to go see if somebody is okay. Uh, am I expressing correct numbers to you, or are you expecting less people, uh, a lot less people than that, to register and make personal yeah, calls I, on? Typically, typically when we roll out these programs, it's going to be uh, a little less than that. Um, but again... You know, we want to make it available, and, and this is, you know, we're just starting it out. So we'll see where the numbers take us and, and, and what we need to do to adjust and, and all of that. Um, but, again, I think it's something good. It's something good for our community. It's something good to to have in place and, and a mechanism to have. And, and, you know, just like with anything else, when you start a new project or a new idea, you know, you, you think of all the contingencies, and, and we're ready to adapt to to the possibilities of something myself and my command staff have, have talked about and, and, you know, thought, what if this does take off? What if there's more? How are we going to account for that? And and so we're looking at all those things, and we're, we're prepared to, to pivot and adapt as we need to to make this program work. Jonathan Flores is our Alton Police Chief. The program is Are You OK? If you have a loved one who is a senior and you would like to register for this, how do they go about doing that, Chief? So if they're interested in registering, they can go to the City of Alton uh, website and then click on the Police Department link. There's a uh, Are You OK? program link there. You select that, and there's a fillable form. You just fill out all the information on there, and we'll receive it, um, and you'll be registered. Or you can come by the Alton Police Department, 509 South Alton Boulevard, here in Alton, and uh, there'll be some uh, some registration forms in the lobby for you that you can fill yeah. out and, and return back to us and we'll get you all set up. There are some elderly who don't have many family members and usually it's a caretaker or a neighbor, someone who cares about them and keeps an eye on them. Can someone who is not a family member help an elderly person get registered? Say, hey, look, I'm this person's neighbor or I'm their provider. Uh, I'm not a family member. Can they? Can those people still get them registered and, and you know, the, the, despite the fact that they can't even leave their house to, to get this done. Yes, absolutely. They, they can get somebody, a caretaker, anybody to help them register and get get them set up that way. As long as they reside right. in the city of Alton, we'll be able to assist and service them. And, and so anybody can definitely uh, help them do that. All right. Well, it'd be nice to follow up six months or maybe 12 months down the line to see how the program's working for you. Sounds like a pretty good idea. Good luck, Chief. Thanks. 
Thank you very much. I appreciate you guys having me on. Our police chief from Alton, Jonathan Flores. KURV. When news breaks, we break in. Breaking news. Stay alert and listen to the weather forecast. We need to be aware and alert to what's going on. Breaking news means it's happening now. We mean now. Breaking news underway right now. Breaking news on News Talk 710. KURV means we're bringing you the news as it happens. We have an active shooter, multiple gunshots. In this particular instance, we are in receipt of information. When news breaks, we'll break in. Count on News Talk 710. KURV. You're listening to the best of the Valley's morning news. Here's Sergio. All right, Alamo County Judge Richard Cortez joining us. Last time we spoke, Judge, I promised I'd call you back and ask you about this prosperity task force, this vision of yours. I know you've got some people chosen for it already. I'm guessing it's different um different occupations and and careers so tell me about this vision and who did you call who'd you gather in order to make this a reality sergio uh thank you for asking the uh, prosperity task force is intended to help move people out of poverty uh, research shows that helping people move out of poverty uh, lowers the cost of government and and, and of course, lowers the cost to taxpayers. We have a disproportionate share of people in Hidalgo County that live in poverty. When you compare us to the percentage in the United States and to the percentage in Texas. So I thought that going forward, it would be in the best interest of certainly county government and all of us in general to see if we could, you know, turn the tide and change that. So, uh, I've asked you know, several people, you know, to help. And I'm very pleased that we have so many volunteers uh, that are willing to help and, and I think are very capable to help, you know, to mention a few. Uh, you know, we broke it down into various subgroups. Uh, uh, we have Mario Vena, who's a former dean of business at South Texas College. We have uh, Carlos Sanchez, which is a former editor of The Monitor. Uh, we have Dr. Christian Corrales, who's a, a doctor there at UTRGV. Uh, we have Marisol Resendez from El Milagro Clinic, Roxanne Pachero from Hope Family Clinic that's helping us with, with healthcare issues. Uh, we have Mario Delgado from the city of McAllen and Sarah Deerland from Lower River Grande Valley Development Council dealing with transportation issues. Uh, we have Ron Gossa from UTRGV, former, former, uh, City Manager in Edinburgh, and Alex Mead of Texas Regional Bank helping us with economic development. Uh, we have uh, Dr. Christian Nelson from South Texas College and Dr. David King, uh, uh, I mean, Danny King, excuse me, from Region 1 helping us with higher learning. Uh, Sarah Lozano, Dean of South Texas College, and Adam Gonzalez of Coasted helping us with workforce development. Uh, we have uh, Dr. Uh, Kenneth uh, uh, Peak from South Texas College and Sister Norma Pimentel with the mentoring portion. Uh, and for counseling, we have Fedida uh, Villarreal, who's now with Vida, and uh, Paul Hernandez, who's the dean of South Texas College. We also have Dr. Rudy Trevino from PSJA, and Kali Fernandez, who's the first Ministry of Ministries, helping us with services. 
And those are only to mention a few because I can mention yeah. really over 100. Yeah, quite a collection of folks in education industry and what I would call first response when it comes to meeting the needs of the community yeah. and, and poverty. Uh, our judge, Sir Richard Cortez, joining us. We're talking about this prosperity task force, a vision of his. They already had a meeting, um, and he joins us right now on 710 KURV. Yeah, judge Tim Sullivan here. Can you expand a little bit on, on what the ultimate goal is? Uh, what new programs sure. might you see resulting from sure. all of these have, various and have, varied ideas that are going to be put forth by the task force members? We have three basic. We have three basic goals. The first goal is how do we serve the people in poverty with the benefits that are already available. Uh, we want to make sure that the, our, our outreach to those in poverty is is efficient and effective, and find out what else is missing. We're finding out that you know people are struggling between deciding you know to pay for drugs, uh, for, you know medicine, to pay for food, or to pay for gasoline to transport them to work. And some homes only have one one car, so when the when the husband or the wife goes out to work, then the rest of the family stays without transportation. So, transportation seems to be an issue. So, what what we're doing is we want to make sure that we're serving the people as best as we can. But our main goal is to is to identify people that are living in poverty. How do we create human capital among them so we can move them out of out of poverty? But then the research that we've done so far is, I'm going to give you a round number. It's almost exactly 500,000 people that are working in Hidalgo County. 130, even though they're working, they're earning below poverty level. And, and out of those people that are working, that are, that are, that are earning below poverty level, 49% don't even have a high school education. I mean, or have less than high school education. Uh, 26% have high school education. So 75% of the people working that are in poverty, okay, uh, um, I mean, they're working, they're still in poverty. So the third goal is how do we attract and create investment to Hidalgo County of employers that create, that, that create the jobs that we need to get people that want to work out of, out of poverty. Uh, so we're looking at, we're looking at the numbers. And we want to apply, you know, science to our approach to solving the problem. We know that we're never going to eliminate poverty. Mm. But right now, uh, uh, the Bureau, the, the, uh, oh, the Census Bureau says that 29% of us are in poverty. We think that number is closer to 40%. That's not an acceptable number. And we're going to try to see how we can help. Yeah. Um, I guess this is one of the tasks of the task force. But <clears throat> how how do you reach you know this population that is chronically low income may not have easy access to transportation or higher education or job skills training you know that can help them help get them out of poverty well one one of the subgroups that i mentioned is, is the administrative portion of the of the task force we have agencies already that are providing services, you know, to the people in poverty. Uh, CSA is one. The food bank is another one. Uh, so there is a lot of housing authorities or another. So there is a lot of information as to who they are. And we're building those databases so that as we as we have benefits that come in, let, let's say like the COVID funds, when we had the COVID funds, that we were able to help families, you know, pay their utility bill, pay, pay their taxes. Well, how do we reach them and, and how do we get them to qualify? And then the other thing that we have is we have a very high percentage of people that live in Hidalgo County that, that are here 
um, we'll call them undocumented. Okay, so so it it creates you know certain certain uh, uh, burdens that we have in trying to identify and help and help all people. Uh, but somebody's got to do it because going forward, uh, we can't have our welfare line grow faster than our taxpayer line. And that's the whole purpose of this. And these are very talented people. They're very committed people. And I think that we prove that we are being successful, that we are moving some people, that we are improving things. Uh, I think money from foundations such as the Gates Foundation, such as the Moody Foundation, such as the Methodist you know, yeah. ministries and Presbyterian ministries, you know, will help us with the with the financial financial side. Uh, this is this is a complex issue, and we have short term, mid term, and long term goals. Yeah, well, I'm glad uh, you mentioned some of the foundations. Uh, our Judge Richard Cortez, Hidalgo County. We're talking about the Prosperity Task Force Vision, fighting poverty, and has so many people involved. Just real quick, Judge, about thirty seconds. They say education is the greatest equalizer, and you mentioned some of these foundations. These foundations, they love. Uh, avant-garde education programs, you think maybe a, a heavier emphasis on education, on academics, tutorials, retention, uh, and keeping those kids in school. Hard work starts when they're young, and eventually that will lead to the pool that economic development needs to bring in companies and show them, hey, we got a, a skilled workforce. Maybe that would be a, a, a nice quick path. Just your thoughts real quick, about 30 seconds. Well, no, I, I, absolutely, I agree with you. But but let me tell you, out of the people, the 130,000 people that are working in Hidalgo County already, 6% are college graduates, 19% have some college. So unfortunately, it's not, it's not only education that gets you the job, it's, it's, it's the job itself that pays above, above, uh, above poverty. So it's a complicated issue, and that's why we have so many talented people with diverse experiences yeah. to help us figure it out. All right. Judge, we wish you success. Uh, keep us updated on uh, the uh, trajectory and uh, the uh, conversations of this task force. That's Hidalgo County Judge Richard Cortez. As long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Parami app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. It's called the Radio Potomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710 KURV. You're listening to the best of the Valley's morning news. Here's Sergio. Download the free app for 710KURV and all our sister stations at Radio United. Crisp, clear audio and access to previous programs from 710KURV only at Radio Parami. Download it. It's free. Another economic update from our friends at the Rio Grande Valley Port of Brownsville. And the director is Ed Campidano. Chief, welcome back. Let's start with some heavy news, big numbers when it comes to imports of steel slab. Tell me about that first. Well, we've uh, we we steel slab is uh, I guess our number one in terms of by volume bulk commodity, and uh, we've been working with our uh, really our largest customer, who's Turnium de Mexico, uh, 
um, on increasing the throughput through the port of Brownsville. They uh, they built a oh a, a huge multi-billion-dollar state-of-the-art facility in Monterrey in the area of Pesqueria. So they've increased capacity there, and so uh, we've been working them to uh, essentially increase throughput through the Port of Basel to meet their demands for uh, the volume of steel they need for production. So that's been a win-win for everybody. Uh, it's been a collaborative between Turnium, uh, the Port of Brownsville, uh, the Stevedoring Agency, Gulfstream, as well as our railroad, uh, BRG and and Omnitrack. So it's it's been a collaborative and uh, it's working out well. Uh, we've been able to increase the throughput from about 3.6 million last year. I think we're going to increase over a million um, tons this year, and we're still growing to incrementally get to about six million tons over the next two or three years. So. Uh, that, that's been that's been a, a real boon for us. It's it's almost as if we're the unofficial seaport for Monterrey and, and Saltillo now. So many years <laughs> we've been. Well, this uh, certainly the Rio Grande Valley uh, and the port, uh, you know, obviously has a, a, you know, tremendous capabilities logistically to be able to supply uh, not only the frontera but the region of Monterrey and and uh, and the influence that it exerts over the frontera and and well into San Luis Potosi and and, and the yeah. Saltillo region as well. So, uh, you know, that's something we all do very very well, and uh, uh, and certainly it's. Uh, it's important to the region, without a doubt, and what we can add to that mix uh, uh, really is providing the feedstock that, in many cases, then comes back across the border as a finished product, mm -hmm. where it's, whether From it's a factory. white appliance, or whether it's a car, whether it's a construction material, you name it. So uh, it's kind of like, you know, uh, we go for a circle on that. So uh, it's been uh, it's, it's it's been a great relationship with Turnium, and it continues to grow. Uh, so uh, we're 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 excited uh, to certainly have them in our port. Ten four economic update from our Rio Grande Valley port, the port of Brownsville. Ed Campinano is the chief. Yeah, Mr. Campinano, Tim Sullivan here. Status of LNG, the next decade project. Uh, there hasn't been an FID yet, but they are clearing land. I understand. Uh, could the FID be coming the, soon? The, the, there is work going on. It's part of the, the FERC compliance. Uh, there is activity. A lot of it is testing, geotechnic, what have you. It, 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 it is active. Uh, I will tell you that, um, uh, you know, we obviously are in close communications with next decade. Uh, Bechtel is on site, uh, and uh, they continue to say uh, in their messaging, uh, you know, every time we visit is they intend to make FID this year so you know there's not that much time left in in 2022 to make that announcement but uh uh you know they're they're you know they're active uh, uh, they're making gains uh and so um uh you know we're 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 all waiting yeah. i will tell you that uh texas lng is also on site doing some work associated with their regulatory activities so you know there's movement on both fronts and uh, but certainly uh, we're waiting for uh, um, uh, uh, next decade to officially announce um, their fid and 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 really begin to um, um, 
significantly ramp up. All the pieces are in place, you know, uh, including on the channel deepening side. You know, we're working on it. They're working on it. So, uh, you know, it's it, it it'll have a significant, significant impact in the region. So we're we're all waiting with bated breath for for the mm. official announcement. So, are those two uh, projects pretty close crossed. together? How far apart are they from each other? Um, I, I do, there, you know, I, I think the, the reasonableness of, of, uh, uh, next decade, you know, moving FID this year is, is real. I, I think that Texas LNG's target for FID is more, uh, late 2023, but nonetheless, you know, they they are, uh, still, uh, uh, moving on, on various elements of, of, of getting ready for, uh, for full-blown project construction. In terms of terrain? Also, uh, how close together are those two mm-hmm. projects? They, they actually share a boundary uh, on their uh, on the east side. Uh, uh, Texas LNG is just east of the uh, Rio Grande LNG site. And if I could add to what you were saying, as far as all these things moving forward, land movement, uh, also at the port, the deepening. Uh, I, I saw this other headline on a fast track for a carbon capture and storage project for Rio Grande LNG, just part of the things that need to get done before they set up shop. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Well, that's all part of efforts to uh, obviously uh, continue to make uh, the project, uh, you know, uh, carbon-free, essentially. Uh, carbon capture is something that is being uh, touted by the administration. You know, they've jumped on that uh, right away. They've amended their application to include multiple elements that would uh, be uh, um, reduce the carbon footprint, uh, as well as uh, uh Carbon capture would essentially uh, capture any kind of uh, carbon emissions uh, before uh, as a part of the production process. So, you know, they're they're moving. Uh, you know, their goal is to be one of the greenest uh, uh, production facilities in the world. And uh, this is just another part of that element. And with all the work on, on land and dredging and, of course, this carbon capture and probably other ancillary uh, uh, projects, Already LNG creating jobs in the area, I see. I mean, you can make that claim. Already we've got several people already on the, uh, right? Yes, they do. I mean, in fact, uh, both both uh, Rio Grande LNG or Next Decade as well as Bechtel, you know, already have boots on the ground. And uh, they're they're actively uh, ramping up to, to uh, source as much service and employment opportunity okay. in the region. Right, so, so if it's... They're... they're, they're, they're they're certainly mobilizing, and, you know, like I said, it sure does feel like <laughs> yeah, we expect an announcement any so, day now. Yeah, twenty. if it doesn't happen before the end of the year, which we're all betting on here, we got. it seems like we have like an office pool going on. Uh, and we, I latch on to what you were saying. Maybe before the end of the year we get the, the final investment uh, decision. But it seems like 22 is going to be uh, an important year when it comes to expanding operations it, for LNG. Oh, uh, it, yes, it does. And, you know, the other thing, and you, know, you talk about, you know, ancillary services, but, you know, these kinds of activities trigger other opportunities. And so, you know, there's, there's other projects in play. You know, the channel deepening project, you know, opens up other opportunities. Uh, and also, you know, in the environment of looking for non-greenhouse gas fuels, you know, you know, we, we've got multiple interests pursuing, you know, 
um, other opportunities for energy development, uh, including green hydrogen, including other non-greenhouse gas fuels. Uh, so, so there is a lot of activity, and you know these projects just take time to take hold. I mean, LNG, we've been what going on ten years since we first started discussions yeah. to where we are today. Ten four. So, uh, it's it's you know, and and even even with the Rio Grande LNG project, I mean that's a five to seven year process. Yeah, and before in construction yeah. alone. Thank you, Chief Ed Campinano, director of the Rio Grande Valley Port of Brownsville. You're always on the go. Obviously pretty busy. Busy with work. Picking up my kids from school. From work to kids to running errands. Your entire day is a hands-on, never-ending frenzy of activity. Luckily, getting the news is now voice activated. Just say, Alexa, play 710-KURB. I'd like to know what's going on in my world. I gotta know what's going on in my city. Putting the smart in your smart speaker. I'm getting my news from you and my information. For the latest news and to find out what's happening in rich, clear audio. Just say, Alexa, play 710 KURB. You're listening to the best of the Valley's morning news. Here's Sergio. Winter season for us here in Deep South Texas means snowbird or winter Texan season. Got lots of friends Midwest and from Canada hey, coming all the way down here to spend the winter. And one of the experts when it comes to our winter Texan market our friend Christy Collier with WelcomeHomeRGV.com. So where do we start? I know you got a lot of economic data in your head. I, I was thinking maybe we could start with a chat on folks reserving at those pads at local parks. Do we see the numbers up or down as far as the potential number of winter Texans for this year? What, what do you say, Christy? Well, it's still kind of early to tell. You know, the um, season officially starts November 1st, and we've seen a really great wave of new people coming in. Um, the interesting thing is that we're also seeing a lot of people that have been displaced from Florida with the hurricane situation there. So that's kind of exciting. Uh, we're hoping that all the people who would have typically chosen Florida will uh, fall in love with South Texas and our lower cost of living and um, decide to, you know, choose Texas instead of Florida. So I think it's going to be a really good season. People are ready to travel. They're ready to go. And, um, I'm just seeing a lot of younger people um, coming to Texas, which is very encouraging and very exciting. Yeah, interesting to see how the hurricane in Florida just buzzed so it was right through the center. Yet and I, I can see where we might be getting some extra traffic. Look, just an anecdotal uh, observation. The other day I was walking out of Walmart and some nice winter Texans were ringing the bell. By the way, big thank you to all our winter Texan family, all y'all who – who ring the bell at Salvation Army, those little red kettles. And there was a beautiful couple I was walking out and said, hey, gang, thanks for volunteering for ringing the bell. So, oh, no, we live here now. <laughs> he said, we've been living here for more than five, six years. So of the folks exactly. who visit, yeah, of the folks who visit South Texas, uh, and I know you did a study on this, Maso Menos, uh, give or take, how many folks stay in South Texas as permanent residents? You know, that's, that's a number that we are going to actively um, work on for, for this uh, season. We started a converted Texan um, campaign years ago, 10 or 12 years ago, because we recognized that there, there are a lot of people that used to be winter Texans, but they've decided, hey, we love it here. We want to, we want to call Texas our home base. And 
So we've created this whole program called our Converted Texan Program, offering events, activities, and things to do in the off season and to, you know, and, and that's, we do that for a lot of reasons. You know, one to stay visible, um, uh, stay relevant throughout the year, um, keep that money trickling through, uh, South Texas and also to, Plant those seeds to those current winter Texans that, hey, just because they go home doesn't mean the fun stops. So it's been, it's been a really, really great, um, thing. We, we had a summer supper club, um, for the last three years where we choose a different restaurant every Thursday and we go from two to four and we are averaging over a hundred converted Texans oh, a wow. week <laughs> at a different restaurant. But yeah, just, you know, keep that money flowing through South Texas, and it's just been a really incredible ride. Christy Collier, welcome home, RGV.com. Winter Texan expert has been helping folks in the Winter Texan community for many, many years now. The converted Texans, uh, as you call them, uh, what resources or what information do you provide them to help them segue down here? Like, what, medical providers, hospitals, uh, state resources? What do you provide them to make things easier? You know, we just provide them with whatever they may need. You know, we get calls um, requesting information on orthopedic surgeons, dentists, um, you know, retail establishments. You know, where where um, you know the the big one right now is where can I find a restaurant with a party room? Because winter Texans they travel in packs, so you know the sky's the limit. And and we just want to um, elevate the winter experience while they're here and help them in any way that we can. And they finally become converted Texans. You have what a baptism ceremony in the Gulf of Mexico at South Padre we Island. Do. <laughs> no, we, we do. We have a, a naturalization ceremony. Oh, if you will, I was just joking. Raise their right hand. We do. Absolutely. <laughs> they swear. Okay. Yes. Yes. And it's, it's a lot of fun. We do that in, in, uh, mid-April every year. <laughs> that, that's and, cute. You know, it's funny because the winter Texans will say, well, that's too late. And I'm like, well, stick around, yeah. you know. Um, and, you know, when, when you talk about dollars and cents, you know, we, we really try to work on those shoulder seasons because if we can get them coming early and staying later, that's just more money for South Texas. How many might we see this season just ballpark? Uh, the numbers, either compared to last season or this season, give, give me some. How many might we see Winter Texans come here? You know, um, we we hired UTRGV um, this gosh, this January to do an economic impact study for us, and it's estimated about a hundred thousand. But there's room to grow, and there's a lot of people that go kind of uncounted in that we're seeing South Padre Island um, condo rentals. Uh, Winter Texans have found our little gym, um, not so little, but our, 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 our beaches. They, they love South Padre Island. And so there's, and there's a lot of people that stay in extended stay hotels too. And those folks aren't counted. So we're going to work really hard to kind of try and capture that data and include that into our mix. I know you're from the Valley and you've seen the evolution here in South Texas over a couple of decades. We are definitely more welcoming now to winter tax. And I know the numbers were different, were bigger back back then, it seemed. But on well, what they what they need primarily, uh, medical, medical services, hospitals, and shopping opportunities. It's The opportunities are exponentially greater now than they were you know, 20 years ago. So I would imagine this is oh definitely gosh, a great home for are, them. Yeah. Yes, for sure. And, you know, we, in our survey, um, you know, 
people do choose to South Texas for medical reasons because the access to healthcare is so much easier than some of these rural areas that these people are from. Mm -hmm. And they have to drive two hours to go to their doctor. Um, here, you know, we have, um, fantastic, uh, medical facilities, um, no matter where you are in South Texas. And so yeah. we, we really try to advocate that you, know, you can come down here and some people even finance their entire stay by some of the dental services that they get in Progresso. Yeah. Yeah. Whether it's Mexico. Yeah. As you said, some of those services or, you know, with a medical school and all the hospitals expanding and growing exponentially down here. Yeah. The medical services are here for them. Uh, economic impact of the winter Texan community to South Texas, just some ballpark figures. What can you share? $1.2 billion. That's the yearly impact. Billion with a B. Okay. And and that's what it, you know. The other interesting thing that we asked UTRGB and Simon Potty, who's fantastic, um, to to take a deeper dive into was the not just the economic impact of our winter Texans, but they have friends and family who come to visit um, often once, twice, even three times during a season. And so the average stay for those folks is nine days. So they're spending money. Um, they're going to, they're buying groceries, they're buying gas, they're staying in hotels, they're, they're going out, they're, they're drinking in our bars for sure, you know. So there's, you know, that is something that contributes to, to equal that $1.2 billion. So it's, it's pretty incredible. And yeah. <clears throat> I think that South Texas would be, the Rio Grande Valley would be a much different place if we didn't have, you know, that extra burst of money coming uh, coming to our area. And, and as you mentioned before, the bell ringers, the folks that volunteer at the food bank, uh, they have food pantries. They 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 make quilts for our hospice. They, they, they do so many different yeah, very things. Active um, they community. adopt pets. The, the list goes on and on. And that's another thing that we really want to um, try and measure for this season. All right. Chrisley, we wish you the best this season for activities and get-togethers and other events uh, that are winter Texan family-related. WelcomeHomeRGV.com. That's WelcomeHomeRGV.com. And Christy Carly, your guest. Bless you, Christy. Have a wonderful holiday. This is the only radio station in the Rio Grande Valley for the news and information you need to know. We are News Talk 710KURV. Discover our Facebook page, 710KURV, also Twitter. I'm Sergio Sanchez, and my email is Sergio at KURV.com. Thank you for listening to News Talk 710KURV. As long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Para Mi app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. It's called the Radio Potomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710 KURV.